Well, our reading this morning uh, is from Genesis chapter 28 and verses 10 to 22. Genesis 28, 10 to 22. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Now as we come to God's word, let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, as you said through the prophet Isaiah, not a word that goes out from your mouth will return to you empty, but it will accomplish that which you purpose and will succeed in the thing for which it was sent. Now, that is our prayer this morning. Uh, So please be at work in us through your word, we ask, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Well, back in March 1934... An American explorer by the name of Richard Byrd stood outside his Antarctic shelter and he watched two red tractors disappear into the distance. He wouldn't see the tractors or their drivers or any other sign of humanity for more than four months. And the reason? He wanted to know what it would be like to live completely alone. And by June, he had his answer. For this month, the chapter of his book recounting his experiences was simply titled Despair. As you may know all too well by experience, despair is a deep, dark place to be. And it's where we find Jacob, the main character of our story this morning. But it really wasn't supposed to be like this. After all, Jacob has just received the same remarkable covenant blessing that Abraham, his grandfather, and then Isaac, his father, received from God. The promise of a people and a place and God's presence. Now, surely, uh, the right response to blessings like that is to celebrate, not despair. 
except this wasn't his blessing to receive. Uh, Not for the first time. Uh, He's taken what did not belong to him. First, he took his brother Esau's birthright. And now he's deceived his father Isaac uh, and cheated Esau. In every way, throughout his life, he has truly lived up to the meaning of his name, deceiver. But now Jacob's scheming, his deception, is coming home to roost. Esau, his brother, has sworn to kill him, and so he is living in fear for his life. And rather than inheriting the land of the blessing, he's heading out of it to a form of exile in disgrace, sent away by his own father. But God is not finished with Jacob. So we've got two uh, main points this morning. Uh, Surprising grace, verses 10 to 17, and transforming grace, verses 18 to 22. Surprising grace then, verses 10 to 17. Uh, We join the story as Jacob heads off into exile uh, in verse 10. Uh, He is, in a sense, getting exactly what his behaviour deserves. He certainly doesn't deserve to receive the blessings that were promised to him the blessings that he stole from Esau. And as he heads out of the land, he must have been wondering, would he ever return? Like our explorer, he is completely alone in the world. He's isolated, he's exposed, he's vulnerable. As well as being physically alone, he no doubt also feels spiritually alone. What he has done to his family, after all, is horrendous. Why would the Lord ever forgive him? Why would the Lord want anything to do with him? And more specifically, why would God be with him? One of the uh, ongoing jokes that we have as a family is the way that Jen, my wife, responds to Eddie, uh, our youngest son's messiness at dinner time. Uh, Every other time of the day, uh, Jen is quick to embrace him and hug him. Uh, She loves nothing more than that. But at dinner time, it's a different story. Uh, As Eddie finishes his dinner, he uh, he invariably reaches out towards Jen, his hands covered in whatever food he's been eating. And every time, without fail, Jen does the same thing. She moves just far enough away from him that she doesn't get a nice uh, handprint, food handprint on her sleeve. As Jacob leaves his home behind, he assumes that he also leaves God's presence behind. That because of his sin, God has edged away just out of reach. That in the face of his sin, God has withdrawn from him, retreating to the safety and the security of heaven and locking the doors. And I think we can understand this, can't we? Now, we all probably know something of what Jacob was thinking. In the aftermath of our sin, we intuitively sense that God has departed, that we are alone. And that's because we understand that sin has consequences. We know that God is rightly angry at sin, and so we logically think that he withdraws his presence from us. And that is what we deserve, isn't it? And we deserve to find heaven, in a sense, locked up. And so, in verse 11, uh, Jacob lays down his head on a stone pillow to sleep. 
And as he slept, he dreamt. Now, if you've ever been to Hong Kong, if you've ever travelled around Hong Kong, you might have come across something called the Central Mid-Levels Escalator. It's the longest covered outdoor escalator in the world. It's 800 metres long, which is quite long, and it rises over 135 metres from bottom to top. Now, an outdoor escalator in itself is a bit of a novelty, um, but it certainly makes travelling up and down the steep hill between the, the central and the western district of Hong Kong much easier. Yet this escalator, as impressive as it is, has nothing on what Jacob sees in his dream. Just look down at verses 12 to 13. Behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. The staircase that that Jacob sees in his dream doesn't just rise 135 metres, but it extends all the way from the dwelling place of man at the bottom to the dwelling place of God at the top. And it's a busy staircase. It's bustling with activity as angels move up and down between heaven and earth. And there above it stands the Lord himself. And you might quite rightly think, "Uh uh-oh, now Jacob's past really is going to catch up with him. Now he's going to experience God's judgment and condemnation for his sin. But that's not quite how it plays out, is it? Now just look at what uh, the Lord says to Jacob in verses 13 and 14. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And this is the very opposite of what should happen. Rather than curse and condemn Jacob, he blesses him. And he does it by repeating Isaac's covenant blessing, that promise of a vast people and a place of his own. Somehow, the promises of God haven't been made null and void. They are for him after all. When Jacob grabs the blessings, they slip through his hands. Yet when he gives up all hope of the blessings ever being his, he receives them from God as a gift. But remember, Jacob is on his way out of the land into exile. How can he ever hope to see these promises realised? Well, God makes three further promises to Jacob uh, down there in verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Heaven, as it turns out, isn't locked up after all. Uh, Despite everything, the Lord is with him. The Lord will keep him. The Lord will bring him home. And when Jacob wakes up there in verses 16 and 17, he wakes up not just physically, but spiritually. Uh, He realises the significance of what he has seen and heard. 
Despite his sin, heaven is open and help is at hand. Now, when a relief party finally reached the explorer who wanted to experience a true loneliness, more than four months after he was last seen, he was, understandably, in a terrible way, weak, despondent. And later, when reflecting on the arrival of his rescuers, he wrote that, in that miraculous instant, all the despair and the suffering fell away, and I felt as if I had just been born again. At his lowest and loneliest point, in the very depths of despair, Jacob was surprised by God's grace. Though he was a sinner, and though he did not think God would have anything to do with him, God sought him and found him and blessed him. He promised he would be with Jacob his whole time in exile, and that his exile would not be forever. Jacob will one day return home. He will one day come again to his father's house in peace. God's presence is absolutely not what Jacob's scheming and his deception and his lies deserve. But Jacob learns a valuable lesson here. See, Jacob thinks that God's presence and the fulfillment of God's promises to him depend on his performance, on his good record. But they aren't. The success of God's plans and the fulfilment of his promises never depend upon the performance of his people. Uh, Like Jacob, you might have properly messed up your life. It may be really hard to see beyond your sin and its consequences, all the pain that you have caused. But the same offer of grace is made to you as was made to Jacob. Your sin does not have the final word. There is hope. As Jacob found, God's presence with his people does not ebb and flow like the tide. It's not closer some days and further out on others, depending on how good or bad a day we're having. It is constant. It is fixed. Heaven remains open. Somehow, sinners like us are able to receive God's blessing rather than his curses. Somehow, God still dwells with his people despite the fact that we are sinners who still sin. And that's because, Jacob's, uh, that's because God's presence with Jacob, uh, with us, is mediated and sustained and secured, not by Jacob, not by us, but by Jesus Christ. In John 1, uh, Jesus refers to this passage uh, when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. See, the way between heaven and earth isn't a staircase. It's a person. It's the Son of Man, Jesus. He is the one who stands in the gap that rightly separates heaven and earth. For it's Jesus at the cross who truly was cut off for Jacob and for us. It's Jesus who cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who truly was forsaken. He bore the curses and the condemnation our sin truly deserves. And in doing so, he fully paid for all of our sin, making it null and void. 
It's Jesus who, uh, by his perfect obedience, secures and inherits all the blessings that God promised to Jacob. And it's Jesus who lovingly and graciously shares those blessings with anyone who puts their trust in him. All this he has done for you. And so when we take refuge in Christ, our sin does not and it cannot close heaven off. This doesn't mean our sin doesn't matter or remove the need for repentance. But God does not withdraw his presence or retreat from us when we sin. Because all of our sin, past, present and future, has been paid for in full by the precious blood of Jesus. And because his presence with us depends on Christ, not us. For a time, uh, we, like Jacob, are in exile. We're away from our heavenly home in a scary, evil wilderness. Now, we've not reached our final destination, but we are not alone. Now, the Son of God clothing himself in human flesh is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise God made to be with Jacob. And as Jesus himself promised, He is with us, his church, by his spirit, until the end of the age. He will not leave you, uh, no matter what circumstances or difficulties you face this side of heaven. No matter how difficult the way home, he will gather you safely to himself. The brutal truth is that not one of us deserves to know God's presence or blessing. But through Jesus, grace flows to sinful scoundrels like Jacob and like you and me. Well, unsurprisingly, God's encounter with Jacob uh, doesn't leave him unchanged. Uh, It is transformative. And so our second point this morning is transforming grace in verses 18 to 22. Now, it doesn't transform Jacob's situation. Uh, Jacob doesn't suddenly not need to go into exile. But it does begin to transform Jacob's character from being Jacob, the deceiver and the taker into Jacob, the receiver and the giver. Now, Jacob begins to understand the covenant God of his fathers. Now, Jacob can view his exile, not with fear, but with confident hope. And we see God's grace transform Jacob in two ways. Uh, Firstly, Jacob commits himself to living for God. He commits himself to living for God. So he, he, he uses his stone pillow uh, to mark the spot of his encounter with God's grace. And then in verses 20 to 21, uh, he says, uh, it says, uh, Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in his way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, that the Lord shall be my God. Now, on first reading, uh, it might sound a little like Jacob is setting conditions for God. But I, I don't think that that's right. Instead, I think it's, it's more that he's, he's remembering and he's processing the implications of God's promises uh, to him back in verses 13 to 15. He is, in a sense, calculating the logical response uh, to God's uh, to such rich and remarkable promises. If God will deliver on all that he has promised, 
then what can I do but live my life for him? For us, uh, if God is really who he says he is, and he really will be with us, then Christianity can't possibly be relegated down the pecking order of our lives. That nice optional extra that we, that we bring out on Sundays. It needs to be front and centre. What drives everything that we do, uh, what our whole lives are oriented around. Now, God has promised remarkable things to us, to be with us, to keep us, and to deliver us home. And so it means in this time of exile that we can be confident Christians, confident in our saviour, confident in his grace to help us live for him. We mustn't hide away. Our commitment to living and speaking for Jesus may make us look like weirdos on our streets and the odd ones out at work. The way we use our time and our money, our willingness to say sorry when we're in the wrong, may look foolish or funny to our friends and our family. Being a faithful Christian may even land us in bother. But nothing can happen as a result of living faithfully for Christ that will jeopardise the truth and the certainty that God will deliver on his promises to us. And because of the grace of Christ, we have true freedom to put the gospel first in all that we do, even when we don't quite know how it's going to work out. God will be with us. He will keep us. And he will deliver us safely home into his presence. And secondly and finally then, uh, Jacob gives to his God. As he says in the, the second half of verse 22, And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. God has promised to provide for all of Jacob's needs, which Jacob recognises. And what has God's grace done to Jacob? Well, it has created in Jacob a heart that wants to give back to God. A heart that has been given much, gives much. And that's to be the effect of grace on our hearts also, as we consider all that the Lord has given to us. We may not be bound by the law to give as as the people of Israel were in the years after Jacob. But does that excuse us from giving? Should we give less of what God has given to us because we're under grace than if we were required by the law? Well, no. A heart that has experienced God's grace is not fueled by a sense of guilt or debt, but by gratitude for God's gracious provision, both in the gospel and in the material things that we have. All that we have is from the Lord. And the result should be a heartfelt desire to give eagerly and generously and cheerfully to the needs of God's people uh, and the work of the gospel. So we need to ask ourselves, what is it that's driving our giving? Are we reluctant to give uh, because we perceive it as ours, something that we have worked hard for? Or are we eager to be generous, remembering the gracious and the generous hand out of which we have received everything we have. Giving should be the first thing that we commit to, not the last. It should be the last thing to be cut when money gets tight, not the first. And if it isn't, then we need to turn our eyes back to the cross and we need to see the remarkable grace that we have been shown in Christ. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we confess that we, like Jacob, are sinners, unworthy and undeserving of knowing you or being blessed by you. And yet you chose to love us in Christ before we ever chose to love you. But we are grateful that Christ is our anchor, that we do not move in and out of your favour based on our performance, but that your presence with us is sustained and secured by Christ. And we thank you for the comfort that while we are in exile, while we are this side of the new creation, you are with us. You will keep us and you will bring us home. Please help us to trust these promises and to live ever more faithfully in light of your wonderful grace to us in Christ. In his name and for his sake we pray. Amen.